0: Welcome to Financial Repression Authority's Roundtable Insight, where the best fund managers, economists, and industry leaders discuss the key investment issues and challenges in the current macroeconomic environment. Hi, welcome to FRA's Roundtable Insight. This is Richard Bernoulli. Today we have Ira Harris and Peter Bukvar. Ira is a hedge fund manager, global trader in foreign currencies, bonds, commodities, and equities for over 40 years He was also a CME director from 1997 to 2003. And Peter is chief investment officer for the Bleakley Financial Group. Uh, He has a newsletter product called bookreport.com, that's B-O-O-C-K-R-E-P-O-R-T.com, which has great macroeconomic insight and perspective with lots of updates on economic indicators. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Uh great so I thought today would begin with a discussion on what's happening uh, in the in the markets uh, uh, and um, it's the seventh of March we just had some some news from Europe on the ECB uh, what are your thoughts on on the announcements and ECB policy in general uh, I can start with Peter so the ECB is
1: is, is- basically turning into, and we saw it officially today, into the Bank of Japan in that uh, their obsession with generating higher inflation caused them to go to all extremes of the earth to do QE and have negative interest rates to try to, try to generate that inflation, not foreseeing that what do they do if they go into an economic slowdown? Well, now they're, they're in an economic slowdown to the point where they've cut their GDP estimates for 2019 to about... 1%, uh, and they still have negative interest rates. They still have a balance sheet that's 40% of of their uh, of the European region's economy. So unfortunately, because they actually believe in the efficacy of negative interest rates, they said they're going to continue with negative interest rates for longer than what they said beforehand. Whereas before they said they'd end it ended sometime this summer, uh, this would continue through the end of the year. Unfortunately, the European banking system is suffocating from negative interest rates and basically no yield curve. And uh, they're basically bleeding from that. And uh, instead of giving them some sort of relief, uh, Draghi stuck them with with more blood. And that's why the European Bank Stock Index fell uh, more than 3% today. So we've reached a point, today actually can be a very important inflection, where the market is not rallying on further central bank easing. It's actually now scared of further central bank easing, and if that is the case, uh we're in the new investing world.
0: Your thoughts, Ira
2: I can't agree more with what uh Peter said, and uh not only did the equities not rally today, uh gold really struggled because the dollar uh as we we're talking before, and it's and I think peter. Stone Cold has this right, too, is that the the strength of the dollar today kept the gold bulls in check. But really what Peter talks about and what we did see is this is the beginning of the capitulation of central banks to, to finally admitting that they really don't know what's going on. And they've made such massive bets about it. And as Peter says, the, the, we're all basically, especially the ECB is now mimicking the Bank of Japan because it doesn't, it, there's no, it doesn't know its way out of here. It has no, it has no concept of how it gets out of here. What was interesting today, and I'm planning on blogging about it tonight, is that Draghi, who wasted everybody's time for 45 minutes because you really had nothing to say, and people who were surprised by. It, what was said about the uh, Teltro and other, they haven't been paying attention because I think this was very well telegraphed. Uh, there's no way that they were going to be raising rates, and he's they're, they're really trapped here. Um, and again, they play with the numbers because now you know they lowered the GDP forecast down from one seven to one one for the uh, European Eurozone, and that gives the ECB cover for what's taking place. What Draghi taught, did, there was a question about uh, the euro bond. And we've talked about this. I know Peter and I have talked about this with you, Richard, many times over the last four years. You know, the euro bond and was that going to come to fruition? And Draghi actually uh, handled it by saying, look it. You know, basically, he would love to see it, but he admitted it's a political decision. But I think that's nonsense because this is, it's not a political decision when Mario Draghi himself in July of 2012 said, oh, We will do whatever it will take. Therefore, it can't be a political decision. And the ECB sitting on this massive balance sheet, which is built on the capital key based on the GDP ratios of everybody within the Eurozone, I'm willing to wager that, I don't know when it's gonna be, it won't be when Mario Draghi's there, but the wish of George Soros and others is to create a Euro bond, and they're gonna do it synthetically by just folding the entire ECB uh, balance sheet into a, a Euro bond. It's almost gonna be like, almost like Alexander Hamilton Did in 1790 when he took on the debt of all the individual states, but it will be interesting because it will be have to take a major capitulation by the Germans. If the Germans don't go along with it, it'll never happen, and that's what Draghi alludes to by saying it's a political decision. If they get the Germans to do it, but if the Germans go kicking and screaming, we. The, the turmoil that you will see in the global financial markets will be unbelievable, but this is the path we're on. But more importantly, I think Peter's point about the, uh, especially the U S stock markets and the European stock markets, not being able to rally today is a sign that the market is starting to get, um, tired of this, uh, as I said, the fun plan game. Uh, I had to, uh, I, I said to Peter, "This is Elmer Gantry, and it is Elmer Gantry." Mario Draghi is. Uh, when they make the movie of Mar, when they make the movie of this, they'll have to bring back Burt Lancaster so that the role is really repl- reprised effectively. But that's I, I agree with everything that uh, Peter had to say.
0: And uh, Peter, what are the implications of this um, beginning of central bank capitulation? Do you see uh, a new investment environment, as you mentioned? And what does that mean?
1: Well, if you believe that uh, valuations of of assets were inflated by what they've done, uh, well, then you we should be worried. Now, granted, this is right now just on the equity side because fixed income is certainly rallying on on what Draghi announced, particularly the European bond market, where uh, the German ten-year yield ended the end of the day at uh, just under seven basis points and the ten-year yield in the u.s. is down to 264 so bonds are certainly a beneficiary of this at least for now uh, but at least the stock market that has had a, a nice rally this year on the fed backing off and, and hopes for a China trade deal well if you, know, you take away that that so-called central bank put and when I say take it away the put is still there but it may not Pay out. In other words, if the markets change their their viewpoint of the effectiveness of central banks to save the day, then uh, that put, as I said, is not going to pay out, and you'll go right through the strike price. So I think that's what um, people should understand. You know, there's you know ten years of this. Everyone's trained to buy on the dips, and everything's going to work out, and Uh, All we need is a a dovish comment and everything's going to be fine. And uh, I I want to make a point that this is no longer accommodation, at least in Europe. Draghi talked about that this is what they announced today is furthering the accommodation. It's not just keeping things steady state. And I argue that if you are going to damage the profitability of your banking sector, which is the transmission mechanism of monetary policy, well then, that's not accommodative, having negative interest rates for longer. It's actually contractionary because the banks are the lifeblood of an economy and if you damage their profitability, you're gonna slow growth. So again, monetary policy is not accommodative anymore. It's constrictive. And unfortunately, they don't yet see that. In fact, Draghi specifically was talk, talking about the impact of banks. And uh, he still was confident that negative interest rates, which I believe is, I've said this before, the dumbest idea in the history of economics. Uh, he thinks that it, it was an effective tool and remains so.
0: And Ira, your thoughts on that changing investment environment, how how will this affect the, uh, the steepener type trades that you've been mentioning on U.S. steel curve?
2: Yeah, you know, thank you, Richard, for bringing that up. Um, the 530s, they made a... Uh, a multi-year high, believe it or not. I, we got up to about 59.2, I think, on the 5.30. It's interesting that the 2.10 sits in here, though. But I think some of the bid on the, I, not some, but a lot of the bid on the U.S. long end came because of, as Peter rightly points out, there was a massive rally in uh, in the European bond markets today because, you know, Teltro does uh, a lead, some of the pressure and uh especially with banks in Europe who are uh, laden with uh their sovereign debt look at Italy Italy had a massive rally They usually Peter brings this up so I'll fill it in for him that the Italian tenure today is actually 246 which is 17 basis points lower than the U.S. tenure so we, we've had a massive rally well the uh the Italian ten-year yields actually dropped like 13 basis points today. Off of this, it's it's an it's an amazing move. So we're starting to see this play out, but it it is so interesting, and I know we'll get into it more because this is the uh, one of the themes of, of of your work, Richard, is that this is all taking place while the. There's a huge discussion, of course, on modern monetary theory, which I know we'll, we'll get to in a, in a little bit. And the fact that these curves can't steepen out here into this is, is is just mind-boggling. But it is because the central banks are so unified. I mean, if you listen to Draghi's words today and you close your eyes, you would think you were listening to Jerome Powell because we well, data-dependent, data-dependent, we're data-dependent. But meanwhile, their ability to manipulate the data to fit whatever the policy that they really want to want to craft is, is the key to it, and it'll take a while. I still say that these curves are going to steepen. We saw a little inversion on the shorter end of it, but I think that is what is really is one of the elements that is frightening the Fed here, and now they're they're all getting in line because I, t- as much as what Draghi did today is Europe. To me, he absolutely uh, trapped the Fed here because with the with the Europeans now uh, pivoting back towards not tightening, the Fed it cannot possibly tighten, and we'll we'll certainly hear. I, I'm waiting. Why we're probably why we're doing why we're uh, recording this. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Donald Trump come out and say, you know, we're, we'll wait for a tweet, and he'll be complaining. If the dollar is too strong, the Fed is too tight, uh, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, but Draghi has trapped Powell. The Fed can't move. And of course we have Leo Brainerd, who's as much, who's as political as Trump is, as far as I'm concerned, directing monetary policy, talk about that the slowing the global growth is a reason for the Fed to hold its fire. So we have a lot of things in play here but we should certainly hear from the president. Maybe we'll wait until after tomorrow's unemployment number, but uh, it
0: is very interesting. And if we look at what's happening in China uh, with a slowdown there and a massive debt problem, uh, could there be a Chinese currency yuan devaluation to address those challenges and what would be the effect on Europe? Could, Could that exacerbate the situation in Europe? Peter?
1: I actually, I don't think that the, the, the Chinese want to do that. Uh, I think, well, first of all, the, the pressure from the U S would be extraordinary and I don't think they want to invite that. And I think number two, while maybe a weaker currency is inevitable in China with all their uh, imbalances on the uh, trade side, uh, the current account is going negative, the amount of debt that they have, balance payments shifting, so the weaker one may happen anyway, but I don't think there's going to be an intentional devaluation. It would be more market-driven uh, because I think the Chinese know over time they're going to be shifting their economy away from fixed asset investment as a main driver and more to the services side and consumer spending. Well, they need a, a stronger currency for that, and They need, or at least a stable one. So that's how I would put it. And Ira, your thoughts?
2: I I think Peter's absolutely right. Uh, if it happens, it'll be because of, uh, uh, things around it. Cause I don't think the Chinese really, they don't want to run afoul of, uh, I'm not going to say Trump, but Lighthizer. And Lighthizer is, is definitely has one, one of his, uh, favorite tools is currency uh, valuations. And I, I think the Chinese understand that and are not looking to tangle with Robert Lighthizer. And I and I don't think it's in their interest. You know, if you're trying to pivot your own economy into more domestic consumption, you don't want a weaker currency. A weaker currency is not going to aid and abet you. So I am I agree with Peter. I think that it is that's not what's going to be a catalyst. And Europe has just enormous problems, political and economic. Well, the political, I think, is. It really is affecting the economic, and they don't have an answer to it. And again, going back to the Draghi Press conference tonight, he talked about, you know, the necessity of a banking union and a capital markets union, which, of course, is the creation of a euro bond. They did this all backwards, and they're paying a price for it, a dramatic price for it. Uh, And it will be interesting the way this plays out. But there's a situation with China... Is, uh, of course, you know, all spills out from, uh, from Germany, uh, because the Germans are a major trade partner with China. They they do huge business there. The, the um the high-end engineered products that Germany does produce, especially when it comes to machine tools and automobiles have always have done very well. So, uh, I, I don't, There's so much, but I don't think that the Chinese are looking to depreciate the currency. I I just they don't want the wrath of the world right now. In fact, if anything, they'll avoid it because they'd rather divide and conquer the US. And today was interesting because of course we had the Italians come out, which the the Italians are interesting to watch now. uh, Because they came out in support of the Belt and Road Initiative, which angered everybody in Brussels and Washington and other places. And it's interesting to see how the, the Italians are so adept now at sticking their fingers in everybody's eyes, uh, in order just to raise raise the uh the, the heat on a lot of different issues. But uh I, I don't think that there's any need for the Chinese to to play with their currency at all.
0: Okay. And Uh, Let's move on to a discussion of modern monetary theory, MMT. Um, What is it uh, and could it be applied to infrastructure spending? Does it make sense to do that? What are the issues and concerns around MMT? Uh, Does it make any sense? Peter?
1: It's more uh, crackpot economics, Uh, Keynesian economics to the extreme that you know, money grows on trees and okay. we can use that, that money that grows on trees and spend it any which way. Uh, the problem is, is it, it assumes that, um, that we have like a closed economy and that foreigners who hold a lot of dollars, uh, they're not going to be bothered by uh, all the money printing. Uh, it assumes that we have all these excess resources that can easily be utilized to uh, to, to carry out whatever spending initiatives we have. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's print money and, and go, uh, fix roads and bridges. Well, where are the workers for that? Well, they'll have to come off, uh, the lots of, 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 of housing construction. Well, then who's going to build the houses? Uh, I think, and also it's potentially hugely inflationary and that, you know, there's a fixed level of supply for things and you just spend money. Uh, at a, at, a, at a, that falls from the sky well then that demand will over, overwhelm supply and you're going to get much higher inflation so it's, it's economic nonsense but um you know we live in a world with a lot of economic nonsense
2: and ira your thoughts well i mean there's so many ways to go at this uh, peter you know goes after it that way and and it's and i i agree with that i and and yet you know I've I've spent a lot of hours trying to look at this and trying to understand this because I mean, what am I missing here? Because I always, I said well wow, it's getting so much play and actually the proponents of it have gotten exactly what they want because they, the fact that we're sitting here discussing it, which pales to the fact that Krugman and Rogoff and Summers and uh, now Larry Fink came out that there's some giants who are who are having who are being forced to respond to it. So they're getting a lot of play, which is what, you know, I probably part of their issue was, it was interesting today too, and this didn't surprise me to see Paul McCauley, who of PIMCO fame, and in fact, I'd argue was really the, the great brains behind PIMCO all those years. Uh, Bill Gross would probably take umbrage as that, but I had a lot of respect for Paul McCauley, but... Paul McCauley came out and said, well, you know what, don't just uh, brush this off so readily. So quickly, there may be something here to it, which didn't surprise me, because McCau- one of McCauley's mainstays going back dec- a couple decades is uh, Keynes' concept of the paradox of thrift, and it was one of the big issues for Paul McCauley. And the MMT discussion actually – falls within that um, paradox of thrift uh, and how to counteract it, which, you know, Keynes was very worried about it because when you anticipate uh, that when things, it's that feedback loop that turns recessions into depressions as people start to save more and demand diminishes dramatically that uh, as you save more, there's less investment and there's less activity in because nobody's investing because there's no demand so i i could see how macaulay would go that way i i i just cannot wrap my head the more i think about it the more uh ridiculous it becomes and as peter uh rightly said the biggest flaw in it is that it depends upon its models built on a closed economy well the united states the dollar is the world's reserve currency with that becomes a it comes a fiduciary responsibility, and the MMT argument is the most irresponsible form of uh, economic um, action that I can imagine. And it's you know what, it, but it doesn't surprise me because it, it it mimics what the Swiss National Bank has done. It, you know, that was going to be the problem is that if it was. You cannot create a perpetual money machine. If that's the case, then I'm. You know what? I may as well quit working, take on as much debt as I can, and then wait for them to print money. Because what? What's the difference? So you're basically telling me that wealth can be created merely at a printing press. Well, if the wealth can be created as a printing press, then then what are we all working so hard for? And you know what? And nothing. Should, nothing then matters. So I just I I can't I can't get there. And I keep trying to. Struggle as to where these people come from. And I know that, as Eric Peters uh, pointed out and Ben Hunt, that one of the major flaws in this is that it depends upon a, uh engaged and enlightened electorate. I mean, that's what Warren Moser, who's with us out there, has talked about. And it's a, it's, a, if you think that that's what we have, well, we're really in trouble. So I, 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 I am really, uh, I'm nervous about it because the biggest flaw to me, of course, is that it breaks down the firewall between monetary and fiscal policy and puts it in the hands of um, of one political entity, and that should make all of us nervous. So uh, I, I'm not a proponent.
0: And uh, along with this discussion is usually um, mention of debt and deficits, um, do they matter? Or should we overlook it or, or downplay it? When will this become apparent in uh, interest rates in, in a bigger way, a bigger, more apparent way, an accelerated way in terms of rising interest rates and U.S. dollar weakening? Peter?
1: I mean, that, that's been – we've been trying to figure that out for 30 years. It was uh, the, the <laughs> okay. 1980s when people were talking about uh, the exploding budget deficit and, and, and rising debts. So it'll it'll matter when it does, and it doesn't matter until it does. And trying to figure out when it does is, is really difficult. I mean, it mattered in Europe in 2011, 2012, and we saw a spike in yields and in, in, in Greece and and the periphery. It certainly mattered last year when Italy, when you saw basically a crash in the Italian bond market. Uh, when it's going to matter for the U.S.? I think I think it begins to matter. Not necessarily initially from a market perspective, but when interest expense starts to take up a greater proportion of the budget and starts to crowd out other things, I think that's when it will get a lot of attention. Uh, but until then, I'm not really that sure. I mean, I do have to say, while well, you know, Treasuries are rallying today, for example, and the 10 years down to the 264, the 10-year yield was 240 at the end of 2017. So here we have a global economy that's clearly slowing. We have a stock market that hasn't done anything in basically a year. And yields are actually still higher. And, you know, and, and, and that's with German yields back down again. That's where the, the, the Japanese 10-year below ne- blow zero again. And U.S. yields are still higher. So I'm not sure yet what that means. I don't know if that means that people are beginning to care and that the Fed is no longer buying and foreigners have dramatically reduced their purchases of US treasuries and the Chinese and the Japanese aren't buying any and uh, they're beginning to push back against these rising debts and deficits. That remains to be seen. But um, it is something that we we, we should pay attention to because, you know, nothing matters, nothing negative matters when you're in a 35-year bull market, which is what we had in bonds. But maybe if things have shifted and it's no longer a bull market, maybe, Things like that and deficits actually do matter, uh, but timing-wise, that's really difficult.
0: And Ira, your thoughts?
2: I, again, I agree with Peter. It's well said. And and I just look around the world, and yes, I know people are chase yields, and and I sit and I talk to people, and I go, Why would you buy a ten-year note? I said, I, I and if why would you have somebody buy your ten-year note? It's oh, if I'm wrong and i and i'm I'll speak for Peter here if he's wrong about what is going to take place here, what is it going to cost you if I moved everything into a two year treasury from the long end uh which actually Rogoff talks about too that you what am i what's it costing me fifteen sixteen seventeen basis points to 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 take on that shorter duration with all the uncertainty and with the growing debt levels, and I I tell you what, this is all MMT is music to Donald Trump's ear, because if if none of this matters, well, you know, spend freely. And again, you know, I'm always bothered by the fact that we're running a trillion dollar deficit in a time of you know, uh, as the White House would say, a booming, healthy economy. Well. there's something majorly wrong here. And and as, as I maintain, the MMT crowd, who's an anti-Trump crowd, is actually foaming the runway for him to do whatever he wants. So I, I don't even understand the politics of it. and I don't think they do either. They haven't thought it through. So uh, there, there's so many things afoot here. But if I was a foreigner sitting out there and I'm sitting on uh, lots of dollar assets, I would be moving as short end as I could be, if not moving totally out of dollars, because this discussion, the fact discussion has reached the level that it has. When I say level, I'm talking about the fact that you have some of the top economists, the giants in the neo-Keynesian world uh, uh, of economics, people who have won Nobel Prizes entertaining the discussion. I would be starting to move out of dollar assets just as a, a safety mechanism. I they sit here and, and I'm not sure whether it's just algorithms. I'm I'm not sure what this is, but for doing this for as long as I have, I scratch my head, I go, You are people are acting very, very irresponsibly by not moving and getting ahead of this and waiting for the events to unfold and then it's gonna be a sorry world.
0: Fully agree. Um Recently, an Australian economist, Satyajit Das, wrote about the risk of collateralized loan obligations. Um, These are securities consisting of a pool of loans organized by maturity and risk, typically. These CLOs, a lot of them have been purchased by Japanese banks. Uh, Do you see this as a risk to the financial markets and the Japanese financial system? Peter?
1: I I don't see it as a risk to the system. I see it as an area where there's been excess and in response to low interest rates. And the leveraged loan market is now bigger than the high yield market. And when you have a search for yield, you have investors that don't make the best decisions. And if this financing spigot gets turned off because the cycle turns, and companies with too much debt and not enough cash flow uh, get hurt. Well, then there's going to be a credit crunch, and there's going to be a credit crunch across uh, the spectrum. So th- that's the risk. And, and, and a lot of this, the credit quality uh, is weak. The covenants are, are non-existent, and this is an, an important area to focus on. And, and like I said, this was an area of, of excess this time around. So you have total business debt whether it's corporate or, or, or partnership or private, whatever, uh, as a percentage of GDP is the highest on record, not including uh, the recession in Q1 of '09. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's going to matter at some point. And um, you know, as, he, as that author pointed out, household balance sheets have improved in this cycle. That's where the excess was though, last time. And the excess outside of a sovereign balance sheet is certainly the corporate balance sheet. And that's why I'm expecting a a focus this year on deleveraging and that uh, companies are going to be focused on improving balance sheets and that every conference call you're hearing the CEOs being asked, uh, what are you doing to improve the balance sheet? So you're going to hear a lot more about that. Now, some companies will be able to get away with that and they'll be able to cash flow their way to uh, a safer spot. But there are going to be plenty of businesses, if this slowdown continues, that are just going to choke on too much debt.
0: And your thoughts, Ira?
2: Uh, yeah, ex- exactly where the world sits right now. And I find it more troubling that uh, here in the U.S., uh, rather than building up those countercyclical buffers, that even the Fed voted, you know, to, to provide some relief. With I, I just don't understand it because you have uh, Governor Quarles in his role as, as uh, chair of the financial stability board, uh or his action I don't know if he's the chair, but he has a certainly an important position there talking about this and yet they're they're rolling back they're they're lightening up on some of those regs and that's the wrong ones. The banks should be building these these counter sick especially now you know that their profits are up, uh even though of course Uh, some of these policies are so um, stupid from a central bank perspective uh, or, you know, especially for domestic bank earnings. But I I would not be rolling back these, these uh, counter cyclical buffers. I'd actually be mandating that the banks actually build up their capital base as long as they're going to be walking down this road. I think it's it's not a healthy sign. And, And, you know, it's not like the banks are in such great shape. I was showing some people, I said, you know, If we went back 12 years, Citibank stock is 10% the value that it was 12 years ago because they did the reverse split of uh, 1 to 10. So the stock's trading $62. Well, on a split adjusted basis, it was $620. So the, the banks have really not, you know, some, of course, you know, that's a broad brush, but a lot of the financial institutions have never regained the strength that they saw prior to the onset of the um, financial crisis, so, uh, this is, and these outstanding loans as people are chasing yields and leveraging themselves up in order to, uh, to find uh, greater returns are very problematic, especially with the global economy slowing.
0: And finally, um, what, what are your thoughts uh, in terms of the other uh, risks to the financial markets and the economy do you see that we haven't covered as yet, Peter?
1: Uh, I think one of them is maybe there is a day when, when the ECB, because you know, it won't will be Draghi because he's gone in six months, that uh, the central bankers wake up and say, you know what, negative interest rates was a really bad idea. We're killing our banking system and we need to get out of it. You know, the problem is, is that that would tank and pop the balloon of the biggest bubble in the history of the world, that being sovereign bonds and negative yielding securities, which total, you know, depending on who you look at, 8 to $11 trillion. And a lot of these banks in Europe hold a lot of these bonds. So from a systemic and earthquake type risk, it's, it, it's that,
0: in my opinion. And uh, finally, Ira, your thoughts on that, uh, other risks that you see?
2: Well, I, you know, it comes back to the banks, and it's interesting that now the BIS is starting to relook at it again. And the fact that these European banks, uh, the domestic banks, are stuffed to the gills with their own sovereign debt, because the Carol carries a zero risk weighting, are you going to tell me that Italian tenures are zero are zero risk weighted? I, I mean, in what world could that possibly be except in the in the world of uh, the Jabberwocky, of uh, of Draghi going down the rabbit hole with all the other central bankers? It, it's insanity, and and that's a serious issue because if you were to change that, which it needs to be changed. The hit to the bank capital, uh, would be dramatic, but this needs to be dealt with because there is no way in this world that all sovereign debt should be zero risk weighted as an asset. Just no way. And especially with this conversation of MMT. That, that is ridiculous because you are now telling me that you, it, and, and if the conversation continues to grow, it's going to be, the impact is just going to be phenomenal. You have to deal with this now. So I've been right in line following Peter. And this zero risk weighting is a very, very, very dangerous systemic risk. And it's neat to, it has to be dealt with by the regulators. Unfortunately, the regulators are the same one who are benefiting from the fact that, you know, sovereign bonds are zero risk weighted because it makes them a desirable asset from a lot of different participants. So there is a very ugly relationship that goes on there, and it is systemically uh, very destabilizing.
0: Wow, great insight. Uh, gentlemen, how can our listeners learn more about your work? Peter?
1: Uh, they, they can go to bleakly.com and reach out to me if they need any help uh, with with wealth management and managing money, where they can read my daily work at bookreport.com, b-o-o-c-k report.com.
0: And Ira,
2: just uh, notes from underground. Uh, Ira Harris.com, uh, dot com and of course these podcasts, which I think you know provide a lot of. Good insight, and that's the feedback I get from people out in the world. They, how much they enjoy them because it, it brings uh, a level of discussion that needs to be had out there, and that people need to understand and uh, get a handle on. So there, there's a lot of the markets show great complacency, and I think Peter and I would absolutely find uh, camaraderie in that. There's great complacency uh, in the world, and there's and there's yet there are so many things on the boil that um, I, I, I'm, right now I'm nervous. For, I, I'm very nervous, and I think today's stock market action should send off some uh, some concerns of that. But uh, again, notes from underground, and keep reading Peter's stuff because he's on top of this stuff as well as anybody out there.
0: Great. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. The FRA Roundtable Insight Show is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the show each involve their own unique risk factors which are not discussed on the show. Any discussions among the panel participants or responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the panel participants and do not take into consideration the listener's suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Please be advised that you invest or speculate at your own risk.